Are you still stuck in the dark ages of sending Venmo requests to your clients and texting them their workouts? With TrueCoach, you can easily manage clients, automate payments, create custom workout plans, track progress, and see results. All in one place. You can get TrueCoach for just $1 for the first three months, giving you the perfect opportunity to experience our cutting-edge coaching platform with a two-week free trial. Plus, as an ISSA coach, you can add the TrueCoach badge to your credentials and stand out from the competition. Take advantage of the exclusive early access sale just for ISSA listeners. Sign up for a free trial or subscribe today at truecoach.co with code ISSA2024. That's ISSA2024. Hurry, this offer won't last long. Welcome to Trainers Talking Truths. This is an ISSA podcast dedicated to exploring the fitness industry and uncovering the whys and hows of personal training. To do that, we'll talk directly to the industry experts and certified trainers. We'll dig into fitness programming, business tactics, nutrition, and more. You'll even hear from current training clients who offer insight from the other side. We've got the fitness industry covered, so turn up the volume and enjoy the drive. Hello, world. Welcome back for another ISSA podcast, Trainers Talking Truths. It's your co-host, Jenny Liebel, here with uh, my co-host, uh, Mr. John Bauer. How are you today? I'm very good. I'm so glad to uh, to be able to knock out another one of these. There's so much research out there and so much great stuff to talk about. And the, the thing I like about these episodes that we do is we just get to talk like a couple of trainers, just talking shop and talking about some of the things that are out there in the health and fitness world. So again, happy to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think we spent about 15 minutes before we even hit record today just talking about stuff, <laughs> research and and things to present and what we wanted to share with you guys cuz you're absolutely right. There is so much research out there. It actually takes us quite a bit of time to put together these episodes for you guys, but that's why we keep doing them cuz there's so there's so much to share. I feel like every time we we start, we it snowballs and we find more that we want to talk about. So there's always next time. But you ready to get into some lightning fitness facts today, John? Of course. Let's see if you can stump me. Okay. So I got a little multiple choice action today because I don't want to just like make these questions random. I want to give you some options today and see what we can think about. All right. So uh, super fun research that I was doing over the last couple of weeks um, with a lot of the journal articles that I do and some of the, the research that we keep up with in our roles here with ISSA. But my first question for you. Which of the following lifestyle habits do you think had the greatest impact on employee work performance in one study out of Japan? So your options are macro ratios in the diet, insufficient sleep, or lack of regular exercise. Which do you you think had the most impact on employee work performance? So I'm going to make this answer all about me uh, because I know which one impacts me the most. Um, And I, I could probably even rank those choices in order. But number one for me is absolutely going to be insufficient sleep. Uh, I can go maybe one day, but that's a maybe. And if I have two days in a row with insufficient sleep, then um, it's like I'm trying to push my thoughts through mud. Uh, I'm just not as sharp. I'm not as quick. So therefore, I'm just not as good an employee. Okay, you would be correct. Insufficient sleep is the answer. And I love the way you said your answer there, John, that you could rank all three of the options that I gave you, the macros in the diet, insufficient sleep, or lack of regular exercise, because this study that I found that I'm going to tell you guys about uh, did just that. There was actually 11 different lifestyle habits that they looked at, including all three of those. So they all do three impact uh, performance at work from this study's view. But 
insufficient sleep was the most impactful. So according to a study published in November 2023 in the Journal of Public Health, the most influential lifestyle habit that negatively impacted the work performance of more than one or 12,500 people, it was corporate employees in Japan aged 21 to 69, was insufficient sleep. So this study examined a total of 11 lifestyle habits, as I just mentioned, related to smoking, exercise, diet, alcohol consumption, and sleep. And the study included both male and female participants. Important to note, right? Because a lot of some of them are certain age ranges and only one gender or sex. Interestingly, this study came about as part of a health and productivity management initiative in that country because they've seen declines in working productivity and it's become a major social issue. So like the actual social, like, issues that are going on are driving a lot of the studies that they're doing over there in this respect. And in Japan, there's been actually a sharp decline in the working age population. And this is attributed to the declining birth rate, which I feel like we've all heard about in Asia, the declining birth rate and the increased aging population, meaning people are living longer, doesn't mean they're necessarily working longer, right? So the the employment pool is shrinking. With that in mind, many corporations over there are focusing on keeping their employees healthier and in turn more productive for longer. So keeping them in the workforce longer is the goal. This study did note that the male participants were more likely to exhibit detrimental behaviors like smoking and skipping breakfast than the female participants, interesting, um, which actually highlights the need for more gender-specific behavior like research in the future. And it also makes light of the fact that sleep hygiene is a critical factor that fitness professionals can impact with clients to help them not only see fitness results, but feel and perform better in their daily lives. And I know I've thought of you when I picked this one, because I know you've talked about that quite a bit over our time that I've known you in the last couple of years, sleep hygiene, right? And how that can impact us in a lot of ways. And there's simple ways that fitness professionals can start to learn about it and help people make changes to their sleep habits to just improve everything. What do you think? Well, yeah. So, so yes to all of that. And in my experience with a lot of clients in the past, a lot of them were probably lacking in sleep, but it was probably kind of a kind of a package deal. And they maybe didn't realize it was it was the sleep that was impacting them the most. But oftentimes you have clients that are drinking, mm -hmm. not getting enough sleep, not exercising, uh, and, and, and doing a bunch of these things that are negatively affecting them. I know for me, if I drink and don't and, and don't get enough sleep and don't exercise, I'm just less of a productive and efficient person in general. Um, but, uh, but I, I know because I, I'm someone who pays attention to these sorts of things like you, I know that sleep is the number one thing. And a lot of those other things will negatively affect my sleep. If I don't get exercise, if I'm eating poorly, if there's alcohol involved, um, it's going to affect my sleep. Uh, so all of those other things can affect you negatively, but ultimately they all also affect your sleep. Uh, so that being the kind of the number one thing that, uh, impacts work productivity, uh, for, for me is a no brainer because I I've experienced it. Um, and, and again, all of those other things can, can definitely have an effect on your sleep. So then it's this whole package of a bunch of things that are affecting you neg negatively. And, and to, to your point about sleep hygiene, yeah, there, I mean, there's definitely some practices you can do to make sure that you get a good night's sleep instead of just waiting until you pass out, which is probably what a, a lot of people do over time is just waiting until they can't stand it anymore and then they pass out. <laughs> Very true. Like creating, and when we're saying sleep hygiene, we're talking about creating a routine, 
right? A routine around sleep, whether it's you read a book, you turn the lights down low, you put your screens away, you turn the TV off, right? You make the room cold, you go take a shower, like whatever your routine is to get yourself ready for bed. And consistency in sleep time is another part of that hygiene. So if you're you know, going to bed at nine o'clock one night or during the week, and then on the weekends, you go to bed at 1 a.m. like that, those two days can throw you off. It absolutely can because your circadian rhythm doesn't say, oh, it's okay. It's the weekend, right? Your rhythm is the same every day. So ideally we should be doing things similarly or consistently on a daily basis. That includes sleep and wake times and also potentially meal times as well, because your body responds, right? There's a whole physiological process and reaction to eating that if you're constantly eating at different times, your body kind of can be thrown off by it. But I also, I want to point out one thing that you said there, John, I didn't see anything in this study and I read it end to end, right? Um, I didn't see anything in this study about where they talked about the relationship of all these 11 lifestyle habits that they looked at to sleep because you are 100% correct that every single one of the things that I mentioned, smoking, um, exercise, diet, alcohol consumption, they all contribute to and can impact sleep. So at the end of the day, they all could potentially impact someone. Um, So I love that. That was a great call out. Uh, But guys, it just goes to the point where I feel like not saying we're moving towards like health coaching and life coaching, but health coaching and life coaching does address more than just exercise and nutrition. We're looking at people's habits. We're looking at people's stress management techniques. We're looking at, you know, the way that they build relationships with people and how those relationships impact them. Because we all know, maybe it's you. We all know somebody who's physically impacted by the relationships that they have, right? And I'm not just talking about relationships, like romantic relationships. What if you're just a volatile person? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you get all amped up and you're you're affecting your physiology every time you interact with people or certain people, that absolutely can impact your body um, and how you perform. So, yeah. So I just thought this one was interesting. Anything else you want to share on this one, John? Um, you know, we mentioned sleep hygiene a little bit. And I would urge any of you to just kind of look into it a little bit more because yeah. the, there's you can find yourself a really long list of many things that you can do. And I'll just name one because I know it's one that I have paid attention to and I can feel the effect. And that is getting some sunlight soon after I wake up um, to, in order to kind of just let my body know and my nervous system know that, hey, it is daytime and that kind of sets your rhythm. Sometimes if you wake up and never go outside, which is possible because I work from home, I could, I could not go outside for days if I wanted to, I guess. Uh, but setting that rhythm early uh, does help me to kind of stay on time with with my bedtime. Uh, and, and so that one for me is is kind of a game changer. But there are plenty of others. So please do look into it. Love it. So, John, I feel like we need to jot this one down because we might need to revisit. Because if you're somebody like me, you guys know me by now. I'm a 4 a.m. waker up or uh, it's the winter time right now when we're recording this. It's dark till about 730 in the morning. So for about the first three or four hours of my day, there's no natural sunlight. There's lights, of course. So I want to know how normal indoor like fluorescent lights can impact your circadian rhythm. So uh, I need you to write that down, John. And we're going to we're going to do some research and talk about this at a later date. More to come to be continued. (laughs) All right. Next study. According to a small study conducted by an Oregon Health and Science University, which of the following did they find influences how and when the body burns uh, burns energy? Was it someone's height, someone's body weight or average body temperature? I guess I should clarify height body composition, or average body temperature. Got it. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, because there's so much information out there on cold plunges, 
and sauna and that sort of thing uh, that I'm just going to, I'm just going to go ahead and guess average body temperature. Ooh, I could see where you could get that from. So for this study that I found, I'll explain it. It was actually someone's body composition um, that they found influences when and how someone burns energy. So this study, I'm going to tell you about the limitations of this study, but I thought it was interesting and it's an interesting start on some research that hopefully they continue to dig into and can give us more on. So in this study published in the journal Obesity, researchers looked at a small sample of 30 individuals. So that's one of the limitations. It's a very small sample size, 30 individuals, and found that people who have a healthy weight use more energy during the day, while those who are obese classified in this study as someone with a BMI over 30, sometimes you'll see 35, but they said 30, spent more energy at night. Okay, so normal average body weight, so a BMI between 19 and 24, I believe it is, um, burned more energy during the day, while those with a BMI over 30 spent more energy, burned more energy at nighttime. Specifically, they found that the obese participants showed higher glucose intolerance during the day, as well as higher insulin levels during the day, indicating that their bodies were working harder to utilize glucose, and they produced less insulin at night is what they were looking at. So it's important to note the first two things. Again, the sample size is small. It's only 30 people. Secondly, the researchers did point out that they don't understand yet the mechanisms or the why they got the result that they did. The study's first author, his name was Andrew McKill. He stated that burning less energy during the day could contribute to being obese, or it could be the result of obesity. So they don't quite know if it's causal or related in any way. It's just what they were finding with this sample. Okay, so let me stop there. Thoughts so far? Uh, you know, although they can't conclusively say why it's happening, I think it does kind of point out the fact, uh, yet again, that keeping your weight under control and, um, and if you are obese or overweight, um, trying to uh, lose some weight and lose some body fat um, is absolutely something that is going to help with not just not just this, but with all things um, regarding your health. And I think this just kind of points out and highlights uh, the fact that um, once you're obese, it's hard, it's hard to overcome it, um, is, is what I'm kind of getting from, from this study, or at least this part of it anyway. Uh, so, so yeah, I think it just kind of points out, um, not necessarily conclusively why this is happening, but I, I do think it kind of highlights to me, um, I, you know, I guess uh, another negative of carrying too much body weight. For sure. Yeah. And that's the way I speak about it with my college athletes, especially um, because there's nothing wrong with being a little bit overweight. Right. But as an athlete, depending on your sport, especially, is there a benefit to carrying more body fat? Generally speaking, no. Right. It's just more body weight to carry around makes things a little bit more challenging for you. Um, But let me tell you a little bit more about this study. So this study required they had quite the extensive protocol. They required participants to stay in a specially designed research lab for six days and follow a strict circadian rhythm protocol. At times during each day, the participants wore indirect calorimeters um, as a mask to help estimate their energy usage, and blood samples were collected daily and throughout the day to measure blood glucose and insulin levels. The authors also point out that this research is one small step, like I mentioned, in the direction of better understanding how the circadian rhythm can impact body weight and substrate or glucose metabolism. It's important that we consider people who do work things like shift work. So if they work at night instead of during the day, if people have inconsistent meal times or even sleep disorders that make their sleep times and quality inconsistent, 
all of which have been shown, just like we were just talking about, to contribute to weight gain, weight issues, and also being associated with then the related chronic disease development and or progression. So again, this kind of ties back to what we were just talking about in the last one, the consistency, the time, right? The way that our body works, the circadian rhythm. It's I think that I've been seeing a lot more research on the circadian rhythm because we understand that we all have one. But now we're starting to slowly understand how the things that we do in our lifestyle impact that. And then what happens after that, right? How does that impact now our health or our future or our brain function, things like that? So I just thought this was very interesting. I like the fact that they, you know, had this shift work part of the study uh, because mm-hmm. sometimes we get a lot of health and fitness information and it's almost like it's working under the assumption that everyone works at the same time of day and has kind of a similar schedule and, and similar resources. Yeah. And that's just not the case. People have different resources. Some people work at night. I used to work in an area where we had um, a lot of uh, nurses and, and prison guards uh, who would uh, work, you know, all various shifts uh, throughout the day. So I do think it is it is really interesting and important to address uh, this side of the study, because not everyone works nine to five, not everyone has the same schedule and not everyone has the same resources. So it's great to be able to address, uh, the people who are, you know, I guess kind of outside of the norm when it comes to schedule and resources. Absolutely. Yeah. And just because you work shift work or you work an odd, like a different time than everybody else, not all those people are obese or overweight, right? There's plenty of people who are of average body weight or of healthy body weight that work shift work. So it's nice that it can be worked around, right? It just might take a little bit more attention to detail based on the things that we're starting to learn. So pretty cool. All right, John, I've got one more, very much sports related. So European football or soccer, as we call it here in America, is highly demanding sport played in all reaches of the world. One study from the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, U.S., found that soccer matches played on artificial turf instead of natural grass had what impact on the physical demands of uh, many of the athletes? Did it increase their physical demands to play on turf versus natural gas grass or decrease their physical demand? What do you think? Wow. That is a, that is an interesting question. Right. Um, conundrum. I played a lot of soccer and I played on both types of turf and um, you know, once in a while I played on some natural fields that were not well taken care of. So if I felt like I was also avoiding uh, you know, kind of potholes in the field and that sort of thing. Right. So, so uh, I'm just going to go that route. Um, but I'm sure you'll you'll inform me a little bit more. I'm going to say that uh, the the artificial turf decreased the demand on the athletes. Ah, so actually it's the opposite. So they're they're finding, and it's position specific. So I'll break that down in a second. But for many of the athletes that they tracked for the soccer, um, in specific positions, it actually increased the physical demand of these athletes. So let me break it down for you. So full disclosure, I'm a nerd here. Uh, I found this study really interesting because I'm really interested in a lot of the new playing surfaces that sports are turning to. I don't know if you've been watching you. I know you've been watching the NBA lately. First of all, they're doing like this weird in-season tournament thing this year. I don't, I still don't understand it. I haven't looked into it. I don't get it. But the courts right now, and if anybody else listening has seen the basketball courts right now, they are hideous. Or as my husband says, ugly as sin. They are disgusting. I need your thoughts on that real quick, John. What do you think of these courts? I like the Sacramento Kings in season tournament court. So I, I guess that's kind of biased. Yes, I'm a Sacramento Kings fan. Uh, but yeah, they, um, 
they're not the prettiest thing, but they do tell me when I turn on the game, oh, this is a tournament game. So it does that for me. Yes, I think they are absolutely hideous. Um, the, the colors and stuff, super distracting. Like they're solid, bright color floors and stuff. Anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it, NBA 2023-2024 in-season tournament and look at some of the courts. Anyway, so things sports like American football, so not soccer, we're talking about American football, can also be played on turf or natural grass, depending on the stadium. Indoor volleyball, which is something that's near and dear to my heart, can also be played on hardwood courts. They have that plastic sport court material. Or more recently, there's actually like a rubber composite that a lot of the schools and pro teams are playing on. ASU has it. I've seen it at their stadium. Um, uh, Athletes Unlimited, which is a new women's pro league for lacrosse, basketball, uh, what else? Volleyball, something else. Uh, But they play on this composite rubber floor now, and it's supposed to be more uh, gentle on the athlete's body, not specifically when they're jumping, but when they're landing. Um, So I've never walked on it. So I thought that was interesting. Basketball, depending on the location, can be played on hardwood, concrete, sport court, right? The list goes on. So there's lots of different surfaces out there. So it is interesting to understand Uh, how these surfaces might impact the people on them. So this study looked at a small sample of 31 elite soccer players in more than 130 matches over the course of a single competitive season on either natural grass or artificial turf. They looked at the various running intensities, so high intensity, moderate intensity, et cetera, the total distance run, the accelerations and decelerations, um, and they did this for a couple specific positions, not the goalies, but they were looking at the midfielders, the defenders, the fullbacks, and the wings, okay? And I'm moderately uh, up to date on my soccer, and I know all these positions. So Google it if you're not sure, but these are the people that do a lot of the running. The results showed that specifically for midfielders and defenders, so it's very position defendant, playing on artificial turf resulted in more effort, meaning more physical demand than when they played on natural grass. So I'm not saying there was a difference in physical performance. In fact, they found very little, if any, difference in their physical performance, meaning how well they did. We're talking about physical demand. So I thought that was interesting. And they also identified some differences in the athlete's abilities to accelerate and decelerate on different surfaces. So I'm not sure they didn't mention if that was due to like their boot, their, um, what do they call them? Their boots slipping, like their cleats slipping on the grass or gripping on the grass, things like that. I'm not sure if that was what it was for, but there was differences in how quickly they could accelerate or decelerate. And I think this is important for coaches and performance trainers, much like myself, who understand they need to understand and prepare their athletes for the demand of their sport. But also they need to work on cardiovascular training, acceleration and deceleration work and impact training based on the surfaces that they'll be playing on. So what are your thoughts on that? What do you think? Well, it's interesting. My, my mind's kind of spinning because I, I, I played a lot. I played a lot of soccer and I played on multiple surfaces and um, on the artificial surfaces, you know, something that just occurred to me is uh, the ball tends to move faster, it tends to maintain its speed on the surface more yeah. so than on natural grass, unless That's the grass is just, Im- just, just immaculate, like a, like a putting green, but you don't typically play on natural surface like a putting green. So the ball would kind of move faster. So in order to keep up with the ball and keep up with play, you have to kind of move faster. So to me, that could potentially be a reason why there's a little bit more effort out there because that ball is just kind of flying around the field uh, a little bit more and a little bit faster. Um, so I, I can totally see that. Um, I do know that there, there's some sports, I think it's football, um, that I've heard it from the most that are, are trying to make the move back to more natural surfaces, mm-hmm. uh, because they've seen a lot more, a lot more injury with the artificial surfaces. Now, football is, you know, I guess, kind of unique in that 
there's these big people running into each other at the same time that they're trying to move and cut on the um, uh, on the artificial surface. Um, but yeah, I, I can I can now that you made me think about it, I can see how there is potentially more effort necessary on the artificial turf for the for the reason I talked about. Yeah, and I think like whenever I watch American football, if you're watching them play on turf, like the plastic turf. You've seen them when they cut that stuff that flies up, that black mm -hmm. gritty stuff that flies up. Is that like, if somebody knows what that is, like, tell us, because I've never really looked into it. I'm pretty sure my husband's told me before, but I've long forgotten. But I think it's like little rubber pieces that's designed to help them with their, their cleat grip in that grass for the exact reason that you just said. Do you, are you aware? Do you know what that yes. is? Yes. Yeah. No, I've, I've played on surfaces like that. And you're exactly right. They're, they're little rubber pieces that give a little bit more... Um, there's a little more give to the surface because if it wasn't there, then it's just kind of similar to a green concrete in some instances. Right. So, so having that rubber there just adds a little bit more cushion. Um, but I will say I've, I've fallen on artificial turf and I've fallen on um, natural turf. And oftentimes that artificial turf is a, a little bit more of an impact. Yes, absolutely. Um, speaking of random, I remember seeing, I think I saw it on like social media recently. There's this big treadmill that they have for um, marathon runners and it's like extra wide, but it's made of like a rubbery kind of bouncy surface. And it, uh, like you can set the speed so you can challenge someone to run faster. But if they fall, it like absorbs the impact when they fall. Have you ever seen that before? As a former runner, I don't know if you, you have seen this. It was, it was specifically for somebody who was running and training for marathons, like at the professional level. I have not seen that, but I'll definitely be doing some Googling after we're done here. Yeah. I don't know if it was on, I follow Emma Cogburn, who was a, a USA, um, oh gosh, what does she do? The steeple um, runner. And she has, I've like followed a bunch of other people through her um, that are runners, which I am not a runner. Those of you guys who know me, I don't even run when being chased, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, I don't idolize runners. Uh, Allison Felix is one of my favorites. I support her shoe brand, Seish. Shout out to Allison Felix. Um, but uh, yeah, super interesting that they're, they're, starting to do more and more research on these different surfaces and trying new surfaces to your point um, or deciding that, Hey, we tried this and it didn't work or, or people were getting hurt more. Let's go back to the old one. So yeah, I just think that's interesting. And John, I guess we can extrapolate this into a gym as well. What are your thoughts? Curious before we switch over, what are your thoughts on like the different surfaces in the gym? Right. Do you remember when it used to be like some places are concrete floor, depending on where you go. Some places have that rubber matting that like puzzle pieces together or rolls out or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I, you know, I love in the last 10 years that so many gyms have added some of this artificial turf. Um, yeah, it, it, it looks great in gyms, by the way. And that, that's something we, we have to take into consideration. I, I've been someone who has been in a position where I'm adding or subtracting things to a gym floor and it looks great. Uh, but the most important thing it does is it opens up space. Back in the day, uh, if you were someone who used to go to the gyms back in like the 90s, every almost every square foot was taken up with machines and weights yeah. and cardio. There was no space. You'd always have to find some weird corner to even sit down on the floor and stretch. Um, and, and gyms have addressed this really well by adding this extra space. And then that space kind of adds opportunity for the different types of equipment. Um, it's a whole different thing to, to slam a medicine ball onto those surfaces as opposed to just the floor. Uh, yeah. And again, I've, I've fielded every complaint you can think of in a gym and uh, medicine balls being slammed on the floor is really loud and really distracting. And a lot of members don't like it. But when you do it on one of these artificial turf surfaces, 
it is better. And then some of the, some of the sleds that you can push and pull yeah. work really well on those surfaces. So I like it and not just because of the surface and not just because it looks good, but uh, I think having some space to do some things that uh, require movement is, is essential for overall fitness. Not everyone's bodybuilding. Uh, so being able to do some things that are movement-based, I think is a great thing in the health club world. Shots fired, shots fired. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. Yeah, I, when you said that, I was like, yeah, it's like putting down an area rug, right? Imagine your house was just one big room. If you put down area rugs and put down furniture that separates the spaces, it does make it a little bit more useful or at least easier to understand what the space would be for, um, which is nice. So I, I do agree on that. Awesome. Well, that's what I got for you today, John. What do you have for us today? Yeah, thank you for that. And no shots fired, by the way. I, you know, I, know, I think kidding. over I think over the years I've done a lot of bodybuilding. I just don't do the cutting part. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely still train like a volleyball player on a regular basis because I play year round. So don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> okay, so we're we're moving on now from the 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 science and research um, part of this episode, and we're going to move on to you know kind of talking about a a topic that is hot in the news right now, and it's kind of entering into uh, the fitness world and. Um, there's there's these new drugs that are out, and again they've they've been hot on social media, out in the news. Uh, we've got these uh, these GLP one agonists or glucagon like peptide agonists, and um, you know, long story short, they they've kind of made their way into the weight loss world. And when anything you know in the past has shown uh, the possibility of helping people with weight loss, then it oftentimes becomes something that does then become marketed heavily as in some cases, a magic potion. I'm not saying that about this these particular drugs, but they get marketed that way, and rightfully so. That's what marketing does. It's it's, a, it's supposed to be there to make us want something and think that we need it. Um, these drugs have shown remarkable results with a lot of people that have uh, a myriad of uh, of health issues. Uh, I have a family member who who's using one of these drugs and had fantastic results. And some of the things that I was able to um, understand about it was not just the physiological part that was happening, but the uh, the the, the, I think she'd call it food noise, meaning the noise in her head telling her eat everything was calmed down by taking these drugs. And that's huge, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I like to eat, but I, I don't know if I have the same level of food noise as maybe some of these folks. I can, I can shut it down when I want to. And, and I can totally imagine that other people uh, can't. So for a drug to be able to do something like that, I think is a fantastic thing. And in the world of, uh, of obesity treatment, uh, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, you know, obesity, it's, it's flat out just not good for you, right? So if, if yeah. there's something that can help us to overcome it, then I think that is a great thing. But now that it's entering into the world uh, of health and fitness, um, you know, some people are looking at it as quite an opportunity. One of the side effects, one of the negative side effects of taking some of these drugs is the loss of lean mass. And that's absolutely something we don't want, especially uh, as we age. Um, and, and just to clarify that I'm talking about losing muscle mass. Okay, so then the opportunity there would be for people in the fitness industry or trainers to be able to help people who are on these drugs who are losing all this weight and making great strides in, in their health, but they're losing this muscle mass, we can train them in order to help maintain muscle mass, maintain strength and maintain function of their body. Now I'm saying this all in a perfect world because in a perfect world that's how it would happen. Um, but I think we also have to look at the other side of it right. Uh, I think uh, it's possible that there are going to be people that see this as a magic potion. And, and by the way, a couple of these drugs have been approved uh, by the FDA to be used as obesity treatment and not just uh, a diabetic treatment as a lot of them were previously used for. And I do believe 
that they are still primarily using BMI to dictate whether or not someone is obese, which, mean then, which means then that I would qualify in order to be able to take one of these drugs because uh, yeah. being 6'1 and, and about 235, I think my BMI is right at around 30 or 31. Uh, so, so I would qualify. Now, I don't need it. But the reason I bring that up is because, you know, sometimes when we have some of these things and, and drugs like this or, or weight loss tools, they, they can be abused. And, and that's the thing that as trainers, and this is, the, this is the, the part I'm getting to, as trainers, we have to be able to be the voice of reason for our clientele, because this is something that clients are going to ask us about. They're going to ask us, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should use this? And although it can be very helpful to people, well, we, we do have to understand that um, when we're working with clients and we're going to do exercise, we do have to make sure that we help them understand what exercise is for. Exercise is still looked at as something that's just a method of burning some calories so that you can have six pack abs or big muscles. Um, and that's not the only thing it does for us. Exercise is a way to keep your body strong and healthy and useful. If you become weak and frail, then your body is no longer that useful to you, uh, especially as we age. So, you know, although it sounds great to, to lose a bunch of weight and it can be extremely positive for your health, you'd be better off if you lose that weight and still exercise in a way that allows you to keep your body strong, healthy, and useful to you so that you can do whatever stuff you want to do. Some of the uh, saddest stories I heard over the years with some of my clients were those that um, as they got older, they did a lot of the right things, saved their money, and now they can travel, but now they're old and, and deconditioned, and they're at, too out of shape to travel long distances or to be able to walk around a brand new city um, because they, they let themselves get very deconditioned. And it wasn't necessarily just because of loss of muscle mass. They were just not exercising in a way that allowed themselves to stay healthy and have a body that is as useful to them as they would like it to be. So uh, um, I, I use these, uh, th these, these new diet drugs is what they're being kind of called on social media as, as a way to kind of get us to talk about what the heck is exercise for. In the case of using these drugs, it, it can be a great way to maintain muscle mass. But let's not forget that exercise is not just about weight control. Exercise is a way to make sure that your body still works the way that you want it to. Jenny, what do you think? I agree. Um, and it's, I, I don't want to talk badly about a lot of these drugs that you're talking about. Um, cause I know people, including my own husband who have used them right with success. Um, but they're starting to find that people who don't use them for their originally intended purposes of controlling A1C and like for diabetes management, um, are starting to have side effects. And it's one of those things where, um, I mean, there's a lot of things out there that are new flashy people are like oh yeah it has this effect right it's going to help you lose weight it's going to help you get stronger faster whatever but maybe it's not as researched as you think and then 5 10 15 years later or even less as we're seeing with these two or three years into it they're starting to see oh shoot there's actually some side effects especially if you end up taking too much of it or taking it for too long and you or your body doesn't actually need this so that's the danger that we run into and i'm not a huge fan of quick fixes and this is coming from someone and i'm raising my hand right now who has tried a whole bunch of quick fixes 15 years ago before i lost my 60 pounds by hiring a trainer 
handing over my credit card and paying for a trainer for six months of my life, which I do not regret ever. Um, But before that, I did the cookie diet, this diet, that diet, this pill, right? I've tried, right? We're all looking for that thing that's going to help us get where we want to be faster. And I feel like that's what this is being marketed as. And people, there's people out there making a lot of money off of this kind of stuff. Instead of, to your point, helping people focus on the fact that at the end of the day, whether or not you choose to take those drugs, completely your choice. If you choose to have fun with it, if not, cool right? But exercise is still important. You can't just pick the drug and think, oh, this is going to get me where I want to be. This is my, this is my out, right? And then completely not exercise or take care of your body and then be upset. But you can't do the things that you want to do to your point. You can't lift your, your suitcase over your head into that travel bin on your way to Europe with your friends to go see the soccer games next year, right? That sucks. That sucks. And I see my mom, like, for example, she comes to my volleyball matches for high school and she has a hard time walking up and down the bleachers. And we're talking about eight inch steps. Like that's heartbreaking to me, right? Little stuff like that, where I'd rather see you exercise and stay strong and then have the side effects of losing body fat or getting stronger or whatever else you are trying to accomplish versus trying to find that quick fix. So, I mean, it's a, it's a touchy subject for some people, um, but I definitely appreciate what you're saying. Exercise still has value. It always has had value and it will continue to have value. Um, and it's up to us as fitness professionals to really help people see what that value is. Yes. Yeah. Exercise a lot has a lot of value outside of your calorie burn, mm-hmm. uh, I think is the big point. And that's the thing we have to get across to our clients and drugs or obesity treatments or whatever we're going to call them. They certainly have their time and place. And in some cases, they absolutely should be used because in some cases you could be saving a person's life. My fear, and this comes from having trained many people over the course of 20 plus years, uh, is that people might look at this as the the magic potion that they've been looking for so they can avoid, you know, in some cases doing some work, you know, changing their lifestyle, um, which I understand is difficult. Um, But, you know, there's a reason why when people do it and they get in better shape and lose weight and have a body that uh, is more functional, uh, that they they feel great about it. They earned it and they did something that is truly beneficial to them. Uh, But like I said, I I think a lot of these things, there's absolutely a time and place uh, for them. Uh, we just have to, you know, I guess as fitness professionals, get clear on what exactly that time and place is. I think if someone like me walked in somewhere with my, I think, 31 BMI, so again, obese, and I said, I want some of this Ozempic or Manjaro, I would hope someone might look at me sideways and say, are you sure? Maybe maybe you should just, you know, cut out some of those uh, some of those big lunches, or maybe, you know, start working out a little bit more, I would hope that someone would want me to do that first, before handing over uh, one of these drugs that I, in particular, don't really need. Yeah, instead of saying, we'll take your money. <laughs> right. Fair enough. All right. So I think my takeaway after today, John, is we've talked about some very interesting things. I think we finished with a topic that I'm sure there's somebody out there yelling at their speaker right now, like they don't agree with us. Um, but I appreciate that. And I love a good conversation, but I encourage you guys, my closing thoughts for you guys are to hear people's arguments out. We all have our own opinions. They are like body hair. We all have a lot of it and probably in places that we don't care to admit. Okay. But ask more questions, whatever opinions or ideas you have, there are people out there with different or potentially the opposite opinions. Maybe find out more about where they're coming from, (laughs) right? Learn all sides of the argument. And be okay with the fact that somebody out there is going to disagree with you. Nobody's ever going to agree on everything. 
Okay. Um, so just continue to ask questions, understand all sides of the argument, and then you're still welcome to your own opinion. Absolutely. I'm not saying that, but maybe don't be so dogmatic about it, right? Be a little bit more flexible or at least seek to understand would be my, my takeaway for the day. What about you, John? That's a good one, by the way. That's one of the seven habits of highly successful people. Yeah. Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. So, so, so that's a great one. And, and I have, I think a couple of takeaways uh, as far as your lightning fast facts. I only got one out of three, so I've got my own homework to do. I got to do some, uh, I'll some send reading. you some references. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. But then, um, you know, we, we talked about a couple of things that, um, are a part of the, the behavior change part of the job of personal training. You know, we get to be the voice of reason that helps people to understand that they're not performing well at work and, they're, and, and also at their workouts because they're not getting enough sleep. And maybe we can help them to understand that a little bit better. Uh, with others, we might be able to help them that there's a way to feel better and move better and, and lose weight and get to a healthy weight um, through not just that better sleep, but through, uh, through exercise and, and better nutrition, um, as opposed to relying uh, on a drug. Now, if it has to be there, and uh, I used to work for a, a medical weight loss clinic, so so I know I, I've worked with people where we had to take extreme measures in order to get them to change because uh, chronic conditions and death was right around the corner. To yeah. to be honest, so in some of those cases, we had to we had to do the extreme things in order to help these people lose a lot of weight. My fear would be is that people who are not in such an extreme uh, situation are then going to take the what might seemingly be an extreme measure of taking shots and, uh, and and taking these drugs in order to uh, lose weight when they can do it in a way that helps them to not just lose weight, but also helps them to have a body that still works well. Love it. So this is fun, John. I really like these episodes. Hopefully you guys are enjoying them as well. Give us some feedback. Let us know. Check out the references in the description of this episode. So everything that we talked about today, um, John's going to dig up some more information on the different drugs that he was mentioning, mostly just to get you guys started because it's one thing to form an opinion based on what you read on Yahoo or what you heard on a podcast, right? But how about you look into it yourself? Like I said, seek to understand. So we'll give you guys some resources and some things to get you started so that you better understand these, these drugs and things that are going on, maybe some of the side effects, et cetera. So yeah, the more you know, it's like a public service announcement with a little rainbow star. <laughs> Well, this has been super fun. Thank you for coming back with me, John. As always, I feel like you're you're just you're just it for me now. So not that Dan is out. I'm just saying. <laughs> we miss Dan, you, Dan has been traveling a lot. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining me, Mr. John. Of course, it was fun. Can't wait to the next one. Absolutely. It'll be sooner than you think, guys, because we got some stuff to talk about. But you guys go out there, keep learning, do all the things, seek to understand, and above all, make good choices. We'll be talking to you soon. Yeah.